Wow. Um, I feel like I haven't launched an episode in a minute. It's been been pretty quiet for me on the social media side of things. But I have been busy, really busy moving myself out of my apartment in Zurich to L.A., I still work with Siemens, but I'm in sales now. And you're probably thinking, wait, what? Sales? Why sales? Aren't you passionate about innovation and change and transformation? I definitely still am, but I moved for two reasons. I really needed a new adventure. And I, th I feel like a lot of us feel like that, especially after COVID. We've been stuck in, stuck in the same place for a while now and need some fresh air. And I definitely needed a reshuffling of the cards. Every know? time you throw yourself into a completely new environment and you kind of push yourself outside your comfort zone, it's a chance to grow. So that's definitely a key reason. I just kind of felt like I grew the place that I was in, the city that I was in, and uh, needed needed something new. Needed something a bit bigger, and def LA is definitely bigger than Zurich. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> And, and honestly, the second reason is I was always wanted to move closer and work closer with um, our customers and really understand the business so that I can have a stronger impact. Because when you just understand how things work better, you can, you know, drive change more effectively. And um, I also want to see what needs to change on the customer side, you know, because the services that we sell help our customers be more sustainable and their buildings more efficient. And I really can't wait to, to learn how to drive that change together with our customers. That's what really, really gets me very excited and to help them have an impact. So that's the bigger purpose uh, on why I'm here. And it's actually really funny because my guest for this episode is Barbara Humpton and she's the CEO of Siemens USA. And when I met her, I didn't know that I would be moving to the US. That's how fast everything happened. Because I think I met her in the beginning of November. And by November 15, I had like signed a contract to go into sales and work at our branch in, in LA. So as I was preparing for the interview at the end of November, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be interviewing my future CEO. You know, I was thinking, what if I'm not inspired by my future CEO? What if her beliefs don't match mine? And how is that going to influence my motivation to work for Siemens USA? Because Yeah, I mean, you know, you follow your leaders and if they don't inspire you, that's kind of an issue, at least for me. But to be honest with you, I had a really good conversation and I knew things were going to work out when she said, it's not about what we have, it's about what we do. And that that statement really reinforced my excitement because I'm inspired by the kind of leader who wants to be a service to people. I'm inspired by people who work on themselves and Barbara is definitely someone who works on herself Uh, to better manage her ego she's she's very humble and driven by how she shows up in the world and how she can best represent Siemens on the global stages to tackle the world's most pressing challenges and her aim is to empower and be of service to her, to her employees so that they can most efficiently and, and you know be come up with the best ways to tackle these challenges so that's what this episode is really all about is her personal growth and how she wants the company to evolve and what role the company culture plays in it i'm curious to hear what you think of the episode as always leave a comment review yeah. it stay tuned i'm pretty sure that my experiences over here will shape the podcast um it'll still revolve around change and transformation obviously because it's just uh, something that <laughs> i'm very passionate about But yeah, maybe with a different perspective on things. And uh, I'm excited to take you along with me on this journey. This is Helena, host of We're Boundaries to Solve, a podcast with stories from inspiring change agents that have had a strong impact in the companies that they work for or in society. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the show. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm very, very excited to have you here. Helena, it is so good to be with you. 
you are the president and CEO of Siemens Corporation USA, where you guide the company's strategy and engagement in serving the company's largest market. Siemens USA employs approximately 40,000 people and generate approximately 17 billion US dollars in revenue. So very impressive, obviously someone who's achieved uh, quite a bit. So I'm very excited to, to learn from you today. So how come for you, when you, when you get up every day, why do you choose to, to lead Siemens USA into the future? All of us need to find our why. What makes us tick? And I learned early in my career that the thing that makes me tick is the potential of applying technology to solve the world's biggest challenges. When I started my career, I was working on a project that really led to the fall of the Berlin Wall, huh. the end of the Cold War. Yes, supporting the US national defense. And then as time went on, I had the opportunity to work on the global positioning system, on, on border security after 9-11, and mm -hmm. on biometrics for the FBI, helping to, helping to use technology to eradicate major crimes. As you look at all these things and you realize that people are more empowered through technology, it only made sense that I would join Siemens where we're addressing the global megatrends of climate change, urbanization, the aging demographics of people around the world and the digitalization of everything. It's, it's, the, it's the biggest challenge of all. And we have the know-how in electrification, automation, digitalization and sustainability to actually make the world better. The fact that we get to work with some of the world's smartest people, you pick almost any topic as it relates to the energy transformation we're going through, to the future of how we'll use buildings, what will the transportation systems of tomorrow look like, and we've got the world-renowned experts in these mm -hmm. topics. Mm -hmm. Man, the chance to learn from them, the chance to see through their eyes, and then, of course, to play a role in bringing all of that to life. It turns out that one of the career gifts I was given was one of communication. Um, mm -hmm. Early on in my career, I discovered that I was pretty good at explaining things to people. I could put things in common terminology, even really complex technical concepts. And my teams often asked me to step forward as the spokesperson. And now I'm so grateful for the chance to use my voice to help advance these things that are so important on so many very big stages these days. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important skill to have because I feel like, you know, when we're when we work in technological companies, everyone gets super excited about the technology. And I feel like there's some room for improvement to learn on how to communicate around, you know, how does this adding value to you and instead of getting too hung up on, on the technicality. So what does your thought process look like when you try to explain something and make something more digestible to, to your audience? <laughs> well, you know, one of the images I always get in my mind is my mom. Ah. So my mom is in her 80s, and she's an interested, engaged individual. And my big question is, would she get it? And mm -hmm. I can't tell you how often I've heard from her, you know, Barb, I know you're talking about something important, but what? <laughs> So it, it is helpful mm -hmm. to think about that audience differently. And then, you know, a lot of people will say, but I get nervous when I talk, if I have to stand mm -hmm. up in front of people. And the thing I like to remind myself and other people of is 
we know something that other people need to know. And so if we can get beyond our own fears and think more about, hey, how are we helping them? Suddenly it becomes a service we're providing. And maybe that makes us feel a little bit more comfortable in engaging. I love that. And it actually reminds me of some advice. I don't remember where I read that, but they said the same thing. When you empathize with someone, it actually shifts your thinking from the, from what is it, the amygdala into the prefrontal cortex. And so you're able to think clearly again. And uh, you, yeah, you move, shift away from fear into thinking and, and able to th enthuse your audience again. That's right. And Helena, you know, it's almost, there's another phrase, which is there's nothing new under the sun. What I keep finding is that for most of the challenges we're facing, there's sort of a, a parallel story in history that can help people understand. In fact, one of my favorite things to say when people ask, are robots coming to take over our jobs? I love to remind people, no, this is as old as the history of humankind. From the first time a human picked up a rock and used it as a tool, the tool has elevated the role of humans. And so likewise today, I keep finding that if I can stay grounded in the key elements of what makes us human, then a lot of our technology is far easier to explain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a really good one. I want to touch upon something you said when we first spoke. You were very, very open, which is something I appreciate about you. You're very approachable and you're very open about how you fell ill when COVID-19 first broke out. And you were talking about how this experience shaped your mindset or your thinking around leadership. Would you mind for the audience telling us about what happened exactly and what that experience taught you? Oh, uh, yes. This is such an important turning point in actually in our history at Siemens. Think about pre-COVID in the fall of 2019 and just those early in the U.S., the early months of 2020, we couldn't get off of airplanes. I, it it might have mm. been easier to just hold our own positions and spin the globe underneath us because every day we were in a different location. And, and in doing that, I had been in New York several times. I had been to Munich, you know, so international flights. I had been amongst world leaders at the Munich Security Conference. And lo and behold... I caught something. Uh, mm. Was it COVID? I don't know. But in February of the very end of February in 2020, I fell ill and honestly could not get out of bed. You know, as I lay there, pains in all my joints and a, oh. you know, it developed into a terrible cough. I, I mean, I, it was impossible for me to quote, get back to work. Mm. And I, I told the team, in fact, I had planned a nice little spring break. And so I said, hey, instead of vacation, I'm staying home. But guys, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have to hunker down and get better. Mm. And of course, that's, you know, the encouragement from the team was fantastic. Hey, <laughs> take care of yourself. Well, honestly, it was three weeks before I was actually able to engage again. And what I discovered is that, yes, uh, COVID was now fully present all around the globe. We were beginning to feel it in a big way in the U.S. The question was, how will we respond and react? And what I discovered is the team had already organized our response, human resources and environmental health and safety, communications, legal and compliance. I mean, every function of the corporation was already at work, making sure that the leaders here knew and, and got the message that we're in this together. 
you know, we, we understand what our priorities are, take care of our employees, take care of our business, and then see how we can support our communities in what would become, while it was a global pandemic, it was a hyper, hyper local phenomenon because cities experience this at different places and times. And, and so, you know, this whole idea that our people really have what it takes to respond and they actually can lead without being directed. This is what really launched our understanding of how powerful empowerment could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, but I mean, I feel like what you just said also speaks waves for you as well, because I mean, obviously, when you fell ill, the team already felt like they were, you know, had this sense of they trusted themselves, they felt empowered, they took on, you know, over the reins, and things just happened, and they were able to be proactive. Um, so how did you, what was the groundwork that you that you put in? How did you establish this kind of environment where people did feel they could, you know, step up and, and take over and didn't wait for, you know, desperately for you to come back and, and tell them what to do? <laughs> well, actually, so think about it. Could I, as a single person, be an expert in all the fields that we require in order to make Siemens successful in the U.S.? Absolutely not. Right Around our staff table, we've got deep, deep, deep expertise in all of these areas. And so it's been one of my core beliefs all along that if we build a team that has all of the right expertise, right, not in any single person, but in individuals amongst the team. And then if we recognize that this isn't a hierarchy, it's a powerful network where we can flex to the part of the network that's most needed at any particular time, it actually makes us stronger overall. You know, learned this through the years because when you get into um, tough business situations, you often find it's some expert in some field, legal, for instance, who steps in and actually leads in a crucial time. Now, mm -hmm. if you can honor those people, give them that seat at the table, encourage them to use their voices, then suddenly they become a power, a force within the corporation that makes everything perform better. Think about the opposite. What if you treated all of your functions as if they were just commodities to be called on, if and only if you thought you needed them? Well, you stifle their ability to see over the horizon, be creative, get you ready for things that you might not even see. So I choose and, and this team chooses to rely on each other. That's really powerful. I really love that. I mean, uh, the power of the of the group over the over a single one single brain, right? And the, I, I, the thing that I struggle with sometimes is I feel like if if we do want to act from a place of empowerment, and this is based on my own experience, if I do want to act out of that place and I have to first understand my strengths and of course you can know you have these different assessment tools and you can you can some to a certain extent try to figure out what your strengths are for me there's a lot of soft skill involved and when I was in portfolio management I was like okay well I can apply this in here but how do I and so I was thinking of mapping my strengths to the projects that I had and is this where I can apply myself the best but sometimes it's you need the kind of environment that fosters that kind of thinking. But then you also need, from a team lead point of view, a person who's 
willing enough to, to reflect on that and willing to engage into that. So how do you get those two things moving at the same time? How do you, as honestly, when I think, okay, I want to become a leader who empowers people, how do I get them to, to reflect like that? Or is that something that you select when you, when you hire or how do you go about that? <laughs> this, is, this is the <laughs> ultimate question, Helena. So <laughs> This it truly is, and this is exactly where we are as a, as the Siemens Corporation, because you know that growth mindset and empowerment are two of our priorities, mm-hmm. and and I literally I'm having conversations with people right now who who are saying back to me, I I feel like we don't have a framework, we don't have a feedback system, because we've taken away performance management, we've taken away the very concrete goals, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I am, I'm sharing with people, this is exactly the point. When we rely on others to direct us, it actually stifles our own thinking. And, and what we're striving for as Siemens right now is to actually tap into that powerful know-how of people all across the corporation, the people closest to the customer, the people deepest in the technology, right? The people who are there who can orchestrate things well. So honestly, for each of us, the, the first step is exactly where you started, which is know your own strengths. And you called some of these things soft skills. I'm working hard. I heard a term recently. I'm working hard uh-huh. to replace this term. Mm-hmm. Don't think about soft skills. Think about durable skills. Mm-hmm. Right? The skills that go with you no matter what your assignment is. Right. People mm-hmm. often thought of hard skills, yes. skills as those things are unique to the job. Right. Right now I'm working with Siemens. It's good that I read the power engineering guide, you know, to, so that I could understand back in the day when we had Siemens Energy with us, I could understand the work they were doing. That Those are those were called hard skills. I'll call mm-hmm. them domain or technical skills. Mm-hmm. But what about the durable skills? And and a, a lot of people will say, I don't know what my skills are. And I would challenge everybody to think about the feedback you get in your everyday life. The first 20 years of my career, the two words I heard most often about me were energy and enthusiasm. And so it finally occurred to me that, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> These are actually attributes that I have that are different from other people. And if I can tap into that, then maybe I bring something unique to the team that a team really needs. Mm-hmm. Now, you also note the second thing, which is, well, what about a team leader who mm-hmm. will get it? Now, how do I find a team leader or how do I be a team leader who gets it? And what I see is some really cool stuff going on. Sometimes we see team leaders consciously working to develop these skills. There are some really practical ways to go about this. One is to bring in an outside moderator who can mm-hmm. take a team through something like the Strengths Finder program. There are all kinds of, whether it's Myers-Briggs or whatever, there are ways to get a team to recognize they're all different They bring different strengths to the table. And then by making it transparent to others, then in our day-to-day work, we can be more deliberate about using the strengths of all the people around us. You know, other people maybe aren't even aware they should be doing this. And here's where I think it's incumbent on us as employees to speak to our leaders and to let them know how we can be best used. 
Mm-hmm. So that means raising your hand for a job that would make good use of your talents. It means expressing what you're interested in developing in your career. And then, you know, volunteering. And I often encourage people to volunteer for those things that look like the hardest jobs to tackle. Don't shy away from those things. Instead, step into those things and then trust yourself. Yeah, it's going to be a hard job for anybody, no matter what. But if you're a problem solver, this problem is probably best handled by you. Step into the things where you see an alignment with your skills. I guess I'd mm. sum it up by saying there are overt things we can do. Mm. And there are also just those sort of hidden everyday ways we interact that make better and better use of our durable skills. And they're actually so motivating because when I realize, for me as well, I'm very enthusiastic or optimistic. I have a lot of energy as well. And I realized that I could really switch up the, the energy in, in, in groups and I could bring myself in and I could steer a group in a certain way by applying that energy and getting you know people excited around something. And I figured when I proactively did that, that it also raised my motivation, you know, when I knew, okay, this is an environment that I'll be able to do this and I'm working and working my magic or, or, you know, bringing myself fully to the table. And it's just, it's so rewarding. So it's not only being of service, if you wish, to the other people by knowing that you can, you can do this for the group, but it's also, yeah, deeply, deeply rewarding as well. I, I mean, honestly, this is a great way to identify your strengths, your adorable skills is to just pause for a moment and think about what are the activities that recharge my battery? Mm-hmm. What are those things that when I do them, I feel real joy? Mm-hmm. What are the things that, what are the things that I'd pay admission for mm-hmm. so that I could have that seat? You know, would I pay for the opportunity to actually do this thing? And, and when you start thinking about those things, I, another way to think about this is, What is, what is it you're doing when you truly are in the zone where you lose track of time and you can just be totally engrossed in an activity? Those are the things that you should strive to do more and more and more. And I'm, I'm telling you, they're not the same for everybody. So if there's something that actually saps your energy, look around you because it's highly likely you're going to find someone. In the case of my home, <laughs> I love dreaming, planning, you know, looking over the horizon. My husband loves seeing to it that the daily things are ticked mm. off, you know, so he's He loves a to-do list. He loves going out and, and nothing makes him happier than scratching something off the to-do list. <laughs> well, isn't it wonderful that we married one another because it really has meant that we each get a great deal of satisfaction of things that contribute to the marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's a key point, though, because the, when I started working with a colleague of mine, he was also different than I was, right? He was, he got, ex- I got excited about the initial start phase of a project where you had to go and do some brainstorming, um, speak to customers, kind of filter through a lot of information and try to understand, okay, how do we, how do we focus? And I kind of had the sense that he was more about, okay, once, you know, the implementation phase, once things are a little more, not set in stone, but how do you then execute? Where I was like, mm, you know, <laughs> I'm more about that beginning phase. And I feel like it took, it took a little bit of getting to know each other and understanding how to communicate with each other, which I think is, so important to cross-functional collaboration, innovation, and what have been your key lessons 
I mean, without diving into your marriage, it just sparked a thought, you know, but because it is so essential to find that common ground. And it's also why we discussed, you know, diversity inclusion. It's not only about diversity. It's really all about the inclusion. Does everyone have a seat at the table? Is can everyone bring themselves? But then the trickiness in these diverse groups is how skilled are we with these durable skills to to work together? Because we if we are so different, we really need to be skilled in, you know, conflict management, for example, or all these kinds of things. What are your thoughts on that? And what have you learned in your career? Oh, yeah. And yeah, and I will bring it back to work because, yeah, there are a lot of things we see in our private lives with with marriages, with children. (laughs) There are lots of great analogies, but actually in the workplace, it's good to think about the workplace as its own unique environment for this because we're not related. We choose to come together and work for one organization. Now, lots of times we get forced to work together. Hey, you two, you're on the same team. Some of the best best experiences that I've had have been those. I've been dropped into the middle of a team that has already been working and maybe they're working well, or maybe they're not. So the key has been to find our own rhythm as a team to Mm -hmm. be successful. Often it really is a matter of pausing to think through who needs to do what. Are there jobs that aren't getting done? My favorite thing to look for Mm -hmm. is is, um, overlaps and gaps. Overlaps are fine, right? It's okay if multiple people have the skill to do the same thing, but let's try not to do it multiple times. (laughs) Let's try to get everything done once because what's more typical is that there are gaps, things that aren't getting done and we really need somebody to step up. One of my favorite rallying cries is we're a team that actually looks for the problems. Hmm. And we pride ourselves in finding the problem areas being able to uncover those, recognize what needs to be done, and then make sure we work on it. Things like our enterprise risk management system. It's a discipline we have as a corporation globally, but I I look forward to these quarterly meetings where we actually dig into what are the greatest risks facing us as Siemens in the U.S. And what you discover is that people all around our virtual table are seeing different things. Hmm. So then a question is, how do you keep this, how do you build the momentum and keep it going that we really are leaning on each other, depending on each other? The question really comes right back to our very first topic of discussion. I learned something during the last 18 months as we thought about diversity, equity, and inclusion. After the killing of George Floyd as a leadership team, we actually stepped up Hmm. and said, we're going to put some actions in place. And one of my personal actions was to do some reading. Nichelle Grant, our head of diversity, equity, inclusion, helped point me to some books that would really help Hmm. me more deeply understand what we were dealing with. And one of the books I read actually gave some really practical advice. This idea, you've heard of the phrase microaggressions, Mm -hmm. this idea that in our everyday life, we're doing little things that are hurtful and Mm -hmm. that actually wear on others. Well, what if we could focus on micro affirmations? It's amazing how well this works. Think about a situation where there's someone new who's just joined the team calling on them and and getting their input on a project can make them feel like they're part of a group or somebody who's been on the team a long time but is often overlooked draw them in introduce people to people in your network who they may not yet know take these actions that 
help somebody else in very, very minor, tiny ways. Over time, that really builds up to true mm -hmm. affirmation. And this is what we're really striving for. We're striving for a culture where, as you said earlier, people know they can bring their whole selves to work. They know that they belong. One of the things I love to hear from our global head of people and organization, Judith Visa, mm -hmm. is the idea that belonging matters and the other word, becoming. Who are we mm -hmm. becoming? Mm -hmm. And when we are working with each other to become the people and the organization that we want to be, there's real satisfaction in our progress. Mm -hmm. oh, that just sat so well when you said becoming. It's just um, it's a very comforting word. It, it, it speaks towards the progress rather well, than... It, it's a yeah. word full of potential, mm -hmm. right? And when you take your new role in the United States, you're going to find the this fits really well with our U.S. culture. Our American culture is often encapsulated in a single word like possibility, right? Mm -hmm. It's very forward looking. And the idea that each of us has the ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and make things happen. Mm -hmm. I love that. And there's one thing that, that comes to my mind. We touched upon the durable skills, but they're also with digitalization. And I mean, all of these topics that we're dealing with, they're also a lot of the technical skills or the technical know-how that we're having to ramp up on very, very quickly. And there's a lot of learning to be done. Siemens is also trying to push an active learning culture as well. And then so this whole learning component, learning new skills, but then also learning how to collaborate differently, having this uh, cultivating an environment and culture of, of belonging and becoming. There's so much learning that happens on multiple levels. The thing that I still feel like, and I don't know if this is the same in Siemens in the U.S., but for us, I observe a lot of this, you know, this meeting culture where there's back-to-back -back meetings all day long. And I just somehow can't help myself but think, when does the thinking, when does the learning, when does that the digestion happen of all of these things, you know? And I think we sometimes maybe get caught up in having to, to have these overly scheduled agendas or something. But I, I wanted to ask you, what is it, how do you make space to, to, to think and to, to learn and apply yourself? I mean, and then, yeah, I'll start off with that question. And then my second question is with regards to the, to the podcast that you started, because you said to, whenever you start something, you go on some, a learning journey, immerse yourself in the topic. And so I wanted to, I was wondering whether the podcast was aimed towards that to immerse yourself and also give yourself some time to, to process these, these topics. But yeah, first question is how do you schedule and set time aside and set space to learn and, and grow? I'm very, very fortunate to have a job where I naturally have to learn. I mean, mm -hmm. think about all the innovation our businesses are driving. Mm -hmm. And if my role is to be Siemens for many, many stakeholders who need what we have, then it's important that I know what we mm -hmm. have. So mm -hmm. I'm loving the fact that every day I'm learning something new about what's happening in our businesses. It's kind of hard to keep up, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I do find I need to make time for exercise. And, mm -hmm. and so one of my favorite hacks is to listen to audiobooks. Mm -hmm. um, I'll pick an audiobook and just say, hey, I can only listen to this book when I'm you know, doing some kind of cardio exercise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, that gets me back out on the walking trail or back on the bike. I'm learning while I'm doing. 
I also found out that I'm somebody who learns and keeps memories um, geographically. As I take, take walks around Washington, D.C., I can often recall what I was listening to two years ago. It's interesting how our memories work. Then that brings us to the podcast. Here was a chance to actually bring in experts, experts in so many of the fields that we interact with. You might call them players in our ecosystem. And to ask them for their view of what's changing, what needs to be done. Imagine the world once the things they're dreaming of are actually in place. And what a beautiful opportunity to learn. But then by doing it in a podcast, it's an opportunity to share. I really want to tell you that the thing that's most phenomenal, especially right now, we're recording this in the midst of a pandemic. We had seen glimmers of hope that, oh, things are going to get better. We're on the upside. Boom, another variant arises. And now, you know, the world is worried again and mm. we're more virtual again. What I'm finding is it's the person to person interactions where I'm learning the most. And mm. so, yes, on those days when it's, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting, the question is can I stay in my learning mode? Right. Can I can I try to get off one meeting that maybe I could, you know, leave five minutes early so I can zoom into the next meeting and spend a few relaxed moments before the actual agenda begins mm -hmm. and and just have a moment of casual conversation before we get into the topic of the day. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, turning the reins over so that others are teaching me. It's the best way for me to keep learning and growing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that really ties in. I mean, it explains also the the whole mindset around I, I want to learn. I want to I trust you as an expert to teach me on this. I'm willing to to show up as a student every day in every interaction and let whether either the situation coach me or, you know, whoever sits in front of me, give me Yeah, give me more information. I think that's something that we can all do more of, me as well. Um, <laughs> and it would help me stay more present as well, I think. If you're, you don't get too anxious either about the situation. If you're in this mindset of, okay, I trust myself. I'm all right with learning and I will make mistakes. I can allow myself to make mistakes or ask the silly questions. <laughs> I don't know if you, how you go about asking the silly questions, but I could imagine being the CEO of Siemens USA, you may have a different kind of pressure, you know, and you maybe have to have different skill set in asking, how should I say, questions in a more, I mean, is this something that you reflect on and how you ask questions? <laughs> hilarious that you asked this because yes, I actually think mid-career, this is one of the skills that actually helped me. It was that I could ask a question in a way that it wasn't like, hey, I'm dumb. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and my, my favorite trick was to say, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, you know, and then insert silly question. And I'd like to know how you would answer that question. <laughs> that's, that's really helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> This is this is me turning to you as the expert, because a lot of people need to know the answer to this question, mainly me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I honestly think we need to just get out of our own egos. All right. So it is okay to say you are the expert in this. I'm just starting to learn this. Could you please explain? It gives the other person the chance to get into teacher mode. And if forget about the part that you're not an expert in this. Of course, you're not an expert in everything. Learn. <laughs>
And I think the ego is such an important, vital aspect. I mean, the, having the question and, and giving the other person the ownership to step into their role, to step into their power, also relaxes the environment. I mean, it's just like, okay, you know, we all know that this person knows this and this person knows that. And you may be the person with the least amount of expertise underlying, you know, everyone kind of kind of knows. Are there other ways that you know how to check your ego? Because I do think that the ego can get in the way of a lot of our interactions. Yeah. It, it sure can. In, in all kinds of ways. You were talking earlier about the amygdala. We have that prehistoric lizard brain of ours mm -hmm. that, that reacts to things all the time, that drives fright and flight. It takes a minute to actually unhook that and move mm -hmm. things into a different space in your mind. I actually learned this through a very, very personal experience. My son was sick when he was 12 years old, and it was a mental illness that, you know, the question was, how do you treat this? Is this something that gets treated with medicine? Does it get treated with therapies? And while we were working our way through this, you know, the question was, what's my role? And as a mom, I was just so deeply invested, right? I just, I, I want to make this better. I, I want to fix this. And actually, I heard from one doctor who said, hey, mom, you're part of the problem. Hmm. This, is, this is his issue to fix. And the more you're engaged, it's undermining his ownership of it. And so what you need to learn to do, and he literally said these words, you need to learn to be a robot, to just not react no matter what is going on. And, and it was something that took practice, but what I learned to do was when presented with a tough situation and, you know, translate this to business, you know, when you get the news that the world is shutting down because of COVID, you know, what do you do? What's your first reaction? Well, your emotions can kick in, your ego can, you know, step up and try to defend you, or you can unplug for just one moment and ask yourself, is this something I control? If it isn't, then it's just news. Now the question is, who knows best how to handle this? Mm -hmm. and, you can, and you can keep yourself out of fight or flight mode, and you can get yourself into calm, competent planning mode, and everybody performs better in that mm -hmm. mode. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I can relate with that. I mean, my brother also had a mental, I mean, he's still getting through this mental illness. We don't quite know what it is yet. It hasn't been fully diagnosed, but I kind of had the similar experience. I was like, okay, what, at my boyfriend at the time said, well, maybe he just needs you to be there. And I said, well, you know, it's his journey. It's not like I can do something for him. I mean, I, or I don't know what. And um, I kind of had to go through the same process of, you know, taking my step myself out of the equation and saying, you know, he's going to have to figure it out himself. He's going to have to and figure out how he has to support himself and I can be there. But it's not my not my my journey or my my road to be on, even if that sounds super harsh in that moment, because you don't want to sound like, <laughs> I don't know, an emotionless person who doesn't care because I do deeply care. But it's not my car to drive in a sense. And so take my ego out and say, OK, you know, I'll I'll be there whenever you need me. But you are in the driver's seat. It, it makes you question who you are as a person, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought of myself as a caring, capable mother, mm -hmm. and this was not something I could solve. Mm -hmm. 
And coming to realize that turns out was maybe the most powerful thing of all, because it did translate to business. I mean, right on this side. And then thankfully, from his point of view, he did master it. Mm. He did he did grow into a strong, smart, loving adult husband, father. And it's just, every day, it's a joy to see what it's like on the other side. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, I'm so happy to hear that. What a, and, and I mean, kudos to you for, for taking the, that kind of situation and, and learning from it as, as you did. Cause I mean, to go into that reflection and, and to see that kind of situation as, I don't want to call it an opportunity, but still, you know, how can I, what do I take from this? How do I grow from this? How do I become a resilient yet loving person? Because I mean, when I was traveling through Kenya, I was, I lived in the slum for a few weeks and I was helping out on an orphanage there. And I was just, uh, I don't want to, yeah, really preoccupied by all of the things that were going on. And and I met a woman that was my age and she was working at the, at this NGO's project. And I said, how do you walk through the slum every day without feeling like you need to help everyone? She's like, well, I can't help everyone and you need boundaries. That was a similar kind of learning for me there as well. It's like, okay, what's in my circle of influence? You know, what can I do? What, how can I truly contribute? And what's inflation of the ego? And where am I just getting in my own way? And, you know, there's too much fog and I'm not being, I'm not really having an impact, <laughs> you know, because that's what happens. Yes, isn't that interesting? And how... How did you make your decision then not to just stay in Kenya and instead to come to work for Siemens? Good question, because it was literally right at the moment where I'd taken on the job at Siemens and I'd finished my studies. I was a working student and I decided to give myself two months travel and then start full time at Siemens. I was crying. I called my mom and I said, there's so much work for me to do here. I could be staying here and take, you know, everything that was given to me just because I was born by default in Switzerland and not in Kenya. Why shouldn't I just take what I have already inside me and and support? And she said, you know, Siemens is a huge corporation. And when you can work and contribute and have an impact in such a corporation, you can also move mountains. And that got me thinking and I was like, okay, it's, it's right. I'll go back home and work. I feel like I need to send a thank you letter to your mom. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the story. And I've never regretted it. We are moving mountains and the things that the technologies that we're introducing, the, the services we're putting together now actually are improving the quality of life for people all around the world. Yes. So there's huge work to be done. And it's interesting because at moments like this, I pause and think about mother Teresa. Someone who gave away everything. Her influence was incredibly personal. Her presence, her engagement moved communities and really drove many others to give in ways that maybe they would not have. And how many lives could she personally touch? Perhaps not that many, but how much change did she drive? Oh, a world of change. It's not, it's really not what we have. It really is about what we do. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, there are so many questions I could still ask you, but in light of time and also mindful that you probably have a meeting right after this. And I do want to give you your five minutes to zone into the next meeting. <laughs> I'll uh, wrap up the conversation and ask you my final five. What, are, what is the greatest challenge that you think you've overcome in your career? I think we had a chance to talk about it. The idea of being a wife, a mother, 
you know, raising through children through those ta- challenging tween years, <laughs> and then recognizing that there's a fulfilling career even after all of that. That's been a fantastic mountain to climb. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. I have a huge amount of respect for women that manage families and career. What are the greatest challenges that you think lie ahead that you're excited about? A huge challenge in the United States to address the needs of infrastructure. We've got a lot to offer. We have the relationships at the state and local level now where most of the key decisions are going to be made. I think it's going to be a huge challenge and lots of fun. But maybe even more important is the sustainability challenge, both inside the corporation, our own operations, as well as what we're going to be doing with our supply chain, with our customers, this decade of action on climate change is absolutely key. Yeah, I believe so as well. Yeah, and we're perfectly positioned to support society and business with that. So um, what would you tell your younger self at the age of 30? What advice would you would you give her if you could? Worry less. <laughs> I was a great one for wringing my hands and, you know, worried about this, worried about that. And it turns out worry doesn't do a thing. Yeah, that's very true. And my final question, what gives you hope? Oh, man. What gives me hope is being around the smart people who yeah. are addressing these challenges together. Uh, it's, it's clear that whatever the world throws at us, We've got all kinds of ingenuity that is just going to drive the changes that are needed. That's a lovely note to end on. Thank you so much for your time and all of the insight that you that you shared with us today. Can't wait to see you in LA. For more inspiring interviews, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or visit my website. You'll find all the links in the show notes. I use my website to not only share the episode, but to publish my blog posts on what I've learned. And make sure to subscribe to my podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And of course, I warmly welcome your rating and reviewing because that apparently really helps me spread and share the stories with other people. So thank you for tuning in. This is Helena and you've been listening to Where Boundaries Dissolve. <laughs>